0: Hebrews chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, I'm going to begin with verse number 23 of Hebrews chapter number 10. Brother David, if you could just give me a little bit of monitor here in this microphone that would help me a little bit. Hebrews chapter 10. And verse number 23, I know this is a familiar passage that we're reading this morning. You can read it with me. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together As the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. With the help of the Lord, I'm going to talk to you for a little while today on a subject that seems to not be aging very well in the church. And I think it's perhaps been retired by many. But I feel the Lord pushing me this morning. It sounds old school, ancient, from another day, from another time. But by the help of the Lord today, I want to talk to you about considering commitment. Considering commitment. I want you to say that out loud with me this morning. Considering commitment. Lord, help us this morning to consider the commitments that we have made and that we are making. Lord, I pray that the Holy Ghost help us this morning. Speak into the hearts of your people today, I do pray. Minister your help to us this morning. And I give you glory and I give you honor and I give you thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. The Evan is with the youth, and I had hoped to have him in the room where I could give him a difficult time. Uh, when you spend a cu- two or three days with somebody, you learn a lot about them, and uh, we were together this week with Dylan and Gentry and Evan, and um, we were on a little hunting trip, and it turned out to be uh, a little less than perfect. Uh, life gave us lemons. We learned how to make lemonade this week. Uh, we had some tough some tough days of hunting. And um, on day one, uh, day two, um, the boat that we were in broke down and that left us a thousand miles away from home. And uh, we were boatless. And so that means that our method of transportation began to be um, our boots. And um, we had to do a little walking, a lot of walking, and uh, a little bit of oaring in the kayaks. And uh, that turned into being a lot of oaring. If I appear to be moving a little statuesque up here this morning, it is because I have no muscle in my body that is not sore today. I learned this week that if you want to stay young, hang out with 20-year-olds. If you want to get old, try to keep up with 20-something-year-olds. They have worked me over this week, and um, we had a good time together. On Thursday, we were each trying to give everybody an opportunity to choose where we were going, what we were going to do for the day. Brother Evan made a decision. We learned never let Brother Evan make any decisions. He picked a spot that we were to get to that um, when we went as far as we could go in the truck, we would have to stop and we would have to go down a road. It was about a mile and a quarter to get to the location that we needed to go. Unfortunately, the road was kind of built like this, so it's halfway up and then down and halfway up and down. So that's about two and a half miles. It reminded me of a story that I'll tell my grandkids. We walked uphill both ways Um, and and we did. Um, Not only did we have to go, walking a mile and a quarter is not the end of the world one way, that's two and a half mile round trip, which is not a big feat for most of us. And so um, that sounded reasonably doable. And uh, my recommendation was that somebody that was uh, 100 pounds or so lighter than myself make the trek on foot and go check this place out and not just trust trust a map and go look at this place and make sure it's a place that all four of us and uh, 500 pounds of equipment needed to get to because the only way we could get there was on foot and we had sleds with us in which we pulled Uh, behind us, and we would pile equipment into the sleds, and each of us pull our own sled, thus the term pulling our own weight. And so we were pulling our own sled. Sounds like a wonderful vacation so far, doesn't it? And so we start pulling our sled, and we are going up the hill, and uh, I walked quite a ways. I felt like that I had perhaps left Frankfurt and walked uh, to about Evansville, and um, I turned to look back, and that was the mistake. Because when I looked back, I realized that my truck seemed to just be right there, not very far from where I had just left. And uh, I turned and I looked at the telephone poles that was by the, the, uh, the power poles by where that I had parked, and then I turned and looked at the trees at where I was going, And they did not seem to be getting much larger. And uh, so I walked a little further and I noticed the guys stopping, looking back, and everybody's asking, how far have we gone? And uh, I trudged on and I stopped the second time. And when I looked back the second time, I realized again, I have much further to go than where I had been. And I felt a certain sense of drudgery come over me, wondering if I'm going to be able to take this large-sized body the full distance. And then the issue is, is when I get there, I have to turn around and do this again to come back out. And uh, so I made up my mind, I was reminded of the scripture that any man who puts his hand the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. So the guys were beginning to grumble a little bit, two of the three guys was grumbling a little bit, only one guy who had the idea thought it was still a good idea. And so we continued down the track and Gentry was far out in front of everybody and he stopped and he's grumbling and fussing about the decision that was made and he looks back fussing and he said, look back, look back and just see. And I said, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit to go on this trip. Let's go. And I had made up my mind that I was committed to this thing. And I wasn't going to look back because looking back was just discouraging me every time I looked back. So I had one thing to do. That was to look straight ahead. Now, Get in your mind, this was not some gently mowed pathway that we're walking. This is a path full of ruts and holes and, and, and things that we were having to navigate through and around and over. And this was a rough trek. We got to the point in which Gentry finally stopped and laid down and was looking straight up in the air. And we're trying to catch up to him. And just about time we start to catch up, he jumps up and I said, hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait. And we got there uh, all up together, and I said, I think we need to talk about this. I said, uh, does anybody know exactly where we are? And of course, they have an app on their their dumb phone. And they said, we are officially uh, six-tenths of a mile, and we have about the same distance to go as we have come. And when we get there, we don't even know if this is actually the place that we need to be. We may get there to discover this is just a complete bust and we got to turn around and come back. And so my suggestion the second time was for one guy who was much thinner than me, make a trip in, check it out, come back, tell the rest of us before we go in. And so the discussion began and we decided that none of us were very committed to the trek. So at the halfway mark, we all turned around and in defeat, start walking back, and Dylan said, "North Dakota has beat us." And I said, "No, North Dakota has not beat us." As a matter of fact, we learned some lessons, and so we start talking about the lessons that we had learned. We get back to the truck after the long trek and got everything put back and packed back away and ended up that whole idea of a hunting adventure gone wrong and ended in supposedly defeat and get in and I was still waiting for Evan to tell us that he still thinks it's a good idea. We got back and everybody's yelling for water and only one of us took water. I did not share. We get back to the truck, everybody's grabbing water out of the coolers, and they're drinking water and they're enjoying the water and we're putting everything back in and we get, we get in the truck and we're all joking around and finally Evan looks at everybody and says, well, that was a dumb idea. <laughs> really, I thought so from the beginning. The whole issue of making anything that we do in life successful means that we have to be committed to what we're doing. If you're not sure from the beginning, you will have a tendency to run into roadblocks, weary days, tiresome times that will cause you to want to look back, to want to stop, what you were doing and to not press forward. Commitment is something that I'm talking to you about today and it is something that we need to be very careful about. There are people in life that commit to a lot of things very quickly. They commit without considering. They don't think about the price that there is to pay. They don't think about all of the details that may come along with the commitment Early on, it sounds like a good idea, so we quickly commit, but along the journey, we decide we made a bad decision. I'm going to tell you this morning that the decision that I made to serve the Lord many years ago, as a matter of fact, 45 years ago, I made a decision to serve the Lord, and I have no Regrets. No regrets. <clears throat> Why do you suppose that there are close to a hundred million church members in America today, yet they're not making more of a moral or spiritual impact on America? Why is it that on Sunday morning thousands of churches have more empty pews than full pews? Why is it that the average Sunday school in America has less than 66 members in attendance and an average worship service of less than 84 people? Why is it that only 50% of the number of any church member role, membership role can be expected to attend on a Sunday service? I'll tell you why it is. Because if Christians really believe in a real heaven and a real hell, how can we be so uncommitted? The answer to this question is tragically simple. Many people believe in God, but most are not committed to God and committed to His church and His kingdom. There is, of course, a difference between attraction, placing membership, and in being committed to the body of Christ. There's a lot of difference between being attracted to the church and being committed to the church. Perhaps this cannot be seen any clearer than it is in the failure rate of marriages in America today. According to statistics, at least 50% of all marriages will end in divorce. Why do you suppose that this is happening? Charles Stanley, in his book, Confronting Casual Christianity says that it is because these couples made a decision but did not make a true binding commitment. I pray this morning that the heart of what I am about to preach to you comes through and that you see clearly where we are as a church. Every couple made a decision but marriage is more than just a decision. Marriage is a covenant between two individuals and God. It is more than a casual, disposable relationship. We live in a world that is enamored with disposable. Don't want to wash dishes? Go disposable. Then we fret over the mountains of Refuge that is going into the landfills of America. Yet we continue to look at all of the opportunities that we have to go disposable. Hear what I'm preaching to you for a moment today. When it comes to our Christianity, when it comes to our life, I'm comparing it to marriage this morning. Because one makes a decision to be together but they want to leave things loose enough that there is a simple way out. We don't have to go through the red tape. Let's leave it loose. So there's a simple way out. The other made a biblical covenant and committed to walk together regardless of what life brings into their path. So why then did do, do so many end up in divorce. The answer is that one side or the other made a decision without a covenant. Therefore the promises that they made without deep soul searching commitment. So one then becomes abusive and the other cheats and then somebody walks away for no reason whatsoever. And we stand going, why? It's because one of the two made a decision without making a real covenant. When I'm preaching to you about commitment this morning, commitment is really a covenant that we make in marriage between a husband and a wife and God. When it comes to the kingdom of God, and your Christian walk, there must be a covenant that is made between every man, woman, boy, or girl and God. That covenant is a covenant between them and God that fastens them together and regardless what comes their way, they go back to the point of saying, I made a decision a long time ago and with that decision to follow Christ, I made a covenant with Him that if he would bring me out of the life that I was in and bring me to where I am, I covenanted that I would never go back to where I am. I was. A simple decision to serve Christ is not enough. Somebody needs to make a covenant with God. Somebody needs to make a commitment with God and put down some feet and put down some roots and declare, I am anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. My life is not just decision toward him and not just pointed and directed toward him, but I am anchored in him. The issue is, is that so many simply leave themselves a way out. One marriage ends in tragedy and the other reaps the benefits of true commitment. There's an incredible story between marriage and relationships between God and the church. It's biblical. I'm preaching to you this morning a very biblical concept. The same is true in the church. The reason that the church is not making more of an impact on our society is that there are a lot of church members, but most have not truly made a commitment. They serve in the church. They attend in the church, but they are not truly committed To God and His church. They are close enough to the church to hold membership, but uncommitted enough to not be faithful. Their membership gives an appearance of all the right things, but their motives are rooted in fleshly and humanly desires. I feel the voice of God calling this church to some soul searching toward commitment this morning. I came yesterday with the idea of preaching a whole different message. But about three weeks ago, God began to deal with me about the message that I'm preaching to you this morning. And I have wrestled with it for about three weeks over and again. And I walked into my bedroom last night and began to study. And when I did, the Lord took me back to the point about three weeks ago when He put this in my spirit and says, this is what needs to be preached in this hour. I'm holding back the idea. Idea that I had that I wanted to preach to preach what I feel God is wanting to speak to the church today. I feel the voice of God speaking to this church saying we've got to renew our commitments. We need to consider our commitments. Our commitment to prayer must not be some casual, easily avoided commitment, but we need to put down some roots in it, and we need to anchor in it and say, I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to serve God. Our commitment to the house of God must not be put on the back burner and just, if it's easy and I have nothing else to do, it needs to be at the center of everything we need do in the ch- in our Christian walk. I hear the voice of the Lord calling the church a little higher. We need to get back to the days of absolute commitment and covenant with God. Where God and His church get more than just a casual glance on Sunday morning if it works out, if it fits in my schedule. But the kind of commitment that causes us to show up To prayer meeting if it's just two or three gathered. The kind of commitment that causes us to worship when we don't really feel like it. But we know he's worthy of praise. And I'll lift my tired hands and I'll lift my weak voice and I'll stand with my weak knees and I'm still going to give God praise. I refuse to sit through a service without giving God the very best that I can give him. Every time that I think that I'm not feeling well and I'm not, I have to push beyond it because I look away to Calvary and I see the incredible price that he paid he deserves more than a casual look on Sunday morning we need a commitment that sends us to our knees a commitment that calls us to fasting the kind of commitment that causes us to worship beyond our human feelings that causes us to be faithful regardless of whatever is happening around us I I was reading a few weeks ago about the pilot of a giant airliner. When they are speeding down the runway, there's a certain point where staying on the ground is no longer an option. This has always intrigued me. I've read about it many times. I've talked to you about it from time to time. I've been looking at this and reading through this and seeing so many parallels. There are many times... That uh, in the preparation for flight, there are things that can happen that can cause a flight to be aborted. This includes things such as engine failure or fires or loss of control or adverse weather conditions or other technical malfunctions. These things can be dealt with by bringing the aircraft to a screeching halt so long as it has happened Before the plane reaches a certain point, that point is called V1. Before they reach V1, now for every aircraft, for every individualized aircraft, depending on the size, the styling of the aircraft, the weight of the aircraft, V1 is not a static speed limit like you and I are used to on the highway. Because every plane has its own V1. That is what it takes for that plane, particularly, to get off of the ground. So anything that happens before a plane reaches V1 or velocity 1, that is the point of absolute commitment. Before the plane reaches V1, the pilot can abort takeoff, they can apply the brakes, they can shut down the engine. V1 is effectively the point of no return. It is the point at which the plane is committed to taking off. Stay with me just for a moment. If you're not interested in airplanes, pretend you are. Once the plane reaches the speed of V1, it becomes unsafe then to apply brakes or reverse the thrust to bring the plane to a stop. At this point, the plane is committed to take off regardless of engine failure or fire. Although the plane is not moving fast enough to get off of the ground, it is going too fast to be able to stop. Watch the parallel now in our walk with the Lord. It is at a point where it is not yet fast enough to fly, but it is too fast to stop. If they they stop it, the plane then is going to lose control, ending into an uncontrollable crash on the runway or other things that could transpire after the pilot, when at the point of takeoff after the pilot has reached V1, there is something that they do. They move their hand away from the throttle. Watch this now. They move their hand away from the throttle until V1 is reached. The pilot generally keeps their hand on the throttle in case for any reason that they need to abort the flight. But after the pilot removes their hand from the throttle, the aircraft then is at a point of no return. Even if anything happens, they must continue to move forward. After the pilot removes his hand from the throttle and the aircraft then, the lift of the aircraft becomes, begins to become greater than the effect of gravity that pulls the plane down. At this stage, takeoff is inevitable as the plane will certainly have to leave the ground to prevent a crash. Because of its forward motion. Finally, they reach the speed that is called V2. Stay with me now. They reach the speed that is called V2. V2, this is the most important speed for any passenger. Because that's the moment that the speed of the aircraft reaches a point where it is safe enough that it can maneuver and make a circle and come in and land even in the event of engine failure. What does all this, pastor, what does all this have to do with commitment and serving God? I'm about to lay it out for you. Because the point is, I believe at the point of repentance and baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost and getting our feet off the ground, when we are just getting started walking with the Lord, we are reaching and we get to the point of V1, which means any man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. It means keeping our eye on the prize. It means everything that is before us. And if we try to slow down, or in Lot's wife's case, we attempt to look back, everything in life is going to crash. Somebody says, I'm not off the ground yet, Pastor. My ministry is not off the ground yet. I haven't really gotten going. I haven't really reached the point that I want to preach. I deal with a lot of discouragement. I I deal with all sorts of malfunctions, and I deal with everything else. Listen, if you ever pull back on the throttle, you're going to crash on the runway. You're never going. What you've got to do, the danger in every Christian walk is the the time between, between V1 and V2. That is the most dangerous moment in the flight. You're sitting there riding on the plane. You don't even know that you are in danger, but the most dangerous moment is between V1 and V2 because during that time, there is only one thing you can do that is trusting that that aircraft is going to get off of the ground and reach V2 so that you can come in for a safe landing. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. When you started walking with the Lord, the trumpet has not yet sounded. And you. there is only one thing that me and you can do. We must put our eyes toward the prize. And no, I may not be off the ground yet, but I've got my hand off the throttle. I'm going headlong ahead. I have already considered the commitment I made way back then. when I was sitting at the gate but now I'm going forward and my hand's off the throttle and God is in control. You can't let what happens in your life cause you to crash on the runway. You gotta keep going. Troubles come. Keep going. Pressures come. Keep going. Hurt feelings come. Keep going. No matter what happens keep going. Unfortunately, many churches are filled with members who rev their engines and make a lot of noise. But they end up crashing between V1 and V2. It's the point of no return. They have been planning on it, meaning to, wanting to, trying to, aiming to, going to, hoping to, But unfortunately, everything that they do, they do it with their hand on the throttle. But the Lord is calling us to a faith walk to where we remove our hands. Come on, somebody. Remember when that baby was learning how to walk? That baby would hold on. That baby was holding on. They hadn't yet reached V1. They're holding on to everything, just trying to learn to walk. But oh, you rejoice the moment that they would take their hand off and take those first two or three steps while you're reaching out to them. And when they slipped and they fell, you didn't pick that baby up and spank that baby and scold that baby and yell at that baby. But what you did was you picked that baby up and rejoiced in the fact that they, that, that, that they tried, that they kept pressing forward. I came this morning to tell somebody that God is not standing on the sideline ready to ready to 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 to, to put his bony finger in your face and 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 beat you up and condemn you over every failure and every fault that you have come on somebody in the church needs to remember when you too were the one that was sitting at the gate trying to decide if you can even make the commitment to walk with the Lord don't let a failure cause you to quit come on you got You've got to keep your hand off the throttle, that throttle is full force ahead. Get up, come on, church. We've got to rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those that weep, pick up the wounded, and keep pressing forward. I'm not here to condemn anybody this morning, I'm here to tell somebody if you failed in your journey, get up and keep going forward, if you've wavered in your walk, get up and keep going. There's hope for you, there's help for you. Just don't put your hand back on the throttle. I've seen people turn their back on the Lord. It never works out well. Once you leave the world, you leave that old life, and you think you're going to turn and go back to that old life, you're never going to fit into that old life. You know why? You've already left the gate, you've already left the terminal, you've already started out on a journey. You're already on your way. Come on, somebody needs to just say, you know what, I'm taking my hand off this morning. I'm taking my hand off this morning. I'm not looking back. I'm not quitting. I'm not turning to the left or to the right. It's all in. I'm going forward, and I'm trusting that God is going to see me through. You know what it is that's going to keep you between V1 and V2? It is called commitment it's commitment. You mean, well, what if this this thing is scary? You don't even know how dangerous it is when you sit down on that airliner and they take off. I always like to look out the window because, man, I like that race car feel. When that thing blasts off down the runway, I'm like, wow, it presses you back against the seat. I'm thinking, man, this is cool. I like this. And then there is a point where I'm not thinking about it. Next thing I know, we're in the air and it's like, oh, that's nice and smooth. I had no idea that there was a point that my life was just in danger I was just enjoying the feeling I was enjoying the emotion I was enjoying the scenery as soon as we get off the ground the first thing I do is start looking back down I'm looking out the window I like a window seat because I like to look down and I'm looking down, I'm looking, looking all around, seeing everything, seeing from a different perspective, seeing from this higher point of view. I'm looking down. I don't know that my life is in danger. I'm not on that plane thinking we're in real danger right now. I'm thinking coming in for a landing. I always get nervous coming in for a landing. They, they say that's not when you need to be worried. Because when you've got to be worried, is at that point of no return. I'm preaching to somebody today that has started out walking with the Lord, and and, and you've had trouble along the way, but I came to remind you this morning, you've got to keep your hand off the throttle. You can't pull back. Listen, listen, I worry more about those that say I'm going to take a step back than I do those that come and say I had failure in my life because those that made a misstep those that made a mistake those hey they, they they're still pushing forward they're still going but as soon as somebody steps back i start worrying wait a second you've put your hand on the throttle and you're pulling you're pulling the plane come on somebody you got to get a hold of this this morning and declare i'm putting the pedal to the metal i'm not looking back i'm serving the lord i made a decision and i'm serving the lord i'm pressing forward i challenge you today make a commitment, take your hand off the throttle, somebody needs to reconsider your commitment that you have made come on we got to get the plane off the ground in Romans chapter 12 the apostle Paul issues a clear call for commitment, he said I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your reasonable service And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word there, present, is a technical Greek word used for offering a sacrifice. This is not a mandatory act, but this is a voluntary act. Watch this. The word present, it is this technical word that is dealing with sacrifice, present. Present is not a forced issue, it is an offered issue. In other words, it does does not say, I command you therefore, but it says, I beseech you or I beg you therefore. Here's what that text is saying. I am asking, earnestly asking of you to voluntarily offer your life not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Voluntarily offering your life a living sacrifice. That means that this is something that is completely up to you. Paul goes on to say that it is our reasonable service. In other words, he's saying based on the information that I have, it is logical that we commit ourselves totally and wholly and willfully unto God. Under the sacrificial system, the animal that was to be sacrificed was committed to the priest. In other words, the head of the household would come to the priest and would present the animal, the sacrifice to the priest. Once they put the sacrifice into the hands of the priest, the priest then took charge of the animal. While all Of that sacrifice's life, the owner, the manager, the head of the household knew that that particular lamb was designed, was birthed to be a sacrificial lamb. It was to be without spot and without blemish. It was to be a male. It was to be the firstborn. There was a whole list of things that it had to be. And they took care of it. And then they took and offered it. Unto the priest. When the priest took it, they had to take their hands off. They could no longer go back and say, Oh, while I was feeding that lamb from the time it was a baby until now, I fell in love with it and I want to go back and I want to take it back home. The only way for redemption for their family and for their sins was to present that lamb. They presented that lamb and the priest took that lamb. And then the priest would take that lamb to an altar. The altar had four horns. On the altar there was a horn on each corner. The horn was placed there as a place for the priest to be able to tie the sacrifice so that in the event that the sacrifice was to begin to shift or move, that it would not fall off of the altar. It was tied to the altar. The priests took the lamb that had been presented, and they willfully tied it to the four corners of the altar before they slit the throat and drained the blood from the animal. Gruesome it sounds. It was God's way in the Old Testament. They tied the animal. The believer is told to present your body a living sacrifice. For we have not, Hebrews, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched of the feelings of our infirmities, meaning we have a high priest. You know his name. His name is Jesus. We are to present our body. The issue is as is we get so busy worrying about what our neighbor's doing and criticizing our neighbor for all the things he's doing and figuring out what he needs to do that we're not focused on presenting ourselves. We've got to present ourselves a living, not a dying sacrifice. We're not We're not to die a physical death. We are to die a spiritual death. And so we present our bodies a living, everybody say living, a living sacrifice. And just like the priest took and tied the lamb to the four corners of the altar, we too must be attached to the altar. too many people today. Make a decision. Run to the front. Give their life to the Lord. And then they want to pull it back. They want to take it back. But I hear the voice of the Lord this morning speaking to somebody. Saying, present your body. Come on, let's tie yourself to the altar. So that when trouble comes, you can't, I'm tied to the altar. I'm talking about not partial commitment, total commitment. God has called for covenant, total commitment for us to be tied to the altar, tied to the point that I can't take it back. I'm not going to turn around when the trouble gets coming into my life. I'm not going to change my mind and back out and make another decision. But I've made up in my mind that I am going to stay on the altar I am staying on the altar it's impossible to be sort of committed or have a partial sacrifice there must be a total commitment I won't be much longer I read a story some time ago about a pig and a chicken walking down the road together as they walked along the road the sign advertised breakfast to benefit the poor the chicken said to the pig, you and I should donate ham and eggs. The pig relied, replied, not so fast. For you, it would just be a contribution. For me, it would be a total commitment. The pig at least understood that it was not possible to offer a partial sacrifice. To commit ourselves to God means that we are to yield everything in our lives to Him. Surrender to Him. Abandon ourselves. Entrust ourselves to Him and place ourselves at His disposal. True commitment is not something that you can give and take back. But we are to be totally, totally committed to Him. I'm closing this morning and asking you to stand with me. The Lord is calling us this morning. He's calling us to commit. To come out, to commit to a life of sacrifice. To commit to a life of prayer. To commit to a life of growth. The local church is the first level of commitment outside of our personal relationship with the Lord. The local church with all of its imperfections is still the Lord's major avenue through which he accomplishes his work. Church gathers for worship and teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread. These things cannot be overlooked. We must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Commitment to church is deeper than just attendance to worship services. We have to commit to genuine relationship with the body of Christ with its leadership, with its teachings you're never going to truly feel a part of the church just by attending services but you've got to involve yourself you got to get in the middle of what's going on and say whatever commitment I need to make, whatever I need to do I want to be tied strong churches are not built by people who just come and go but people who come and say, tie me to this altar. When we're unfaithful, when we're in one day and out the next, we can't expect to find the favor of God and the favor of people upon our lives. I hear the voice of God calling us today. Make a commitment. Get involved. Get back on the altar. Take your hand off the throttle. Stop making a decision to move forward. And it's a few weeks in the January and February we're fasting and praying and we're full throttle ahead. Then comes summertime and we just pull it back a little bit. God's calling us, put this throttle forward. Take your hands off of it and start walking by faith. Start walking by faith. I'm calling the church this morning. I'm calling every person in this room this morning. If you're not a member, you should be. We welcome you. The church doors are kicked open this morning. If you're not part of what God's doing in this church, you ought to be part. commitment to a local church is so important to the health of every Christian. We must commit ourselves to cooperate with the ministry and the leadership of the local church. Participate in everything we can be part of. If it's service, I'm there. If it's fellowship, I'm in. If it's labor, you can count on me. If it's prayer, you got it. If it's giving, I'll do my best. If it costs me everything, here's my life. If it helps you, I'm here for my church family. This is where God planted me. This is where my roots are going to grow deep. I hope this is more than just a Sunday morning message. I know it's been a little different for some of you this morning or maybe been received differently than what I intended to preach it today. But I've opened the door of the church this morning for any person that wants to come to the Lord. Here's where he stands this morning. He stands with open arms and outstretched hands. And he's saying, come unto me all ye that are weary and heavy laden. Listen, if you've been carrying a burden and a load in your life, The best thing you can do is come tie yourself to the altar and let him lift that burden off of you. The best thing you can do is make that decision today, but with that decision, make a total commitment to the Lord and say, I am committing to him today. I'm never looking back. Some are already moving today. Would there be more? Join these that are already here today. Would you come and make that kind of commitment today? Would you make that commitment today? I'm coming to give everything to you. I'm giving myself to you this morning. Maybe you'd like to find yourself a place to pray today. Maybe you would like to make this personal for a few moments. I give, everything I give. Some of our ministers and some of our elders would like to just step over to somebody else and lay hands on them and pray for them this morning. Strengthen them this morning. Strengthen them. A, a younger family, a newer Christian, just strengthen them in your prayer. Seek the Lord for a few moments. Song your prayer, King Jesus. Jesus. I say. We lift our hands in this house this morning.
1: Lift your voice and say, King Jesus, King Jesus, my Savior forever. I give you all. I give you all.